welcome to Portroidcast episode 34. As always, I'm Rick. On this episode, I'm joined by Nicole Dressville. Nicole and I met almost a decade ago at Upright Citizens Brigade Training Center in their sketch writing program. She's an actor, a comedy writer, an improv superstar, and I'd like to say my friend, but we can discuss that later. Welcome to the show, Nicole. Hi, Rick. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to have you as a guest. Yes, thank you. Very quick turnaround time also between you suggesting it and us doing it. Yeah, I think I that think. worked out really well. <laughs> All right, we also, okay. go ahead. No, I was just going to say we do spend a lot of our uh, emails back and forth discussing the meaning of friendship and the nature of friendship. So it does. I do like that you included that in the- Yeah, I've thing. included that in here because you and I have a, a different view. Yours is more uh, the common view of friendship and mine is someone that has given me even the slightest bit of attention. Yes. Uh, <laughs> that's why I was like, this is, this is a, a point of discussion. Uh, I'm going to jump right in. So when we first met, I didn't yet know what a big deal you are. And I think that was to my benefit. You were, you were already teaching improv at UCB. You were on a house team and you recently appeared in an episode of 30 Rock. I didn't know any of that. And just by luck of the draw, I ended up sitting across from you at the writing table during the, the sketch writing classes. I got matched up with you and Matt Stroop. Uh, who, who later you did a podcast with called Inbox. And I got to bounce ideas off of you and uh, for sketches and I got to read your sketches and I found that you were really hilarious and fun person. So going back, what sparked your interest in comedy, specifically improv? You know, growing up, I was a bit, I don't want to say I was a big TV family, but I was a family that really like genuinely loved TV, like not as a distraction, or like a way not to speak to each other, but like really loved, like got really attached to characters, was really loyal to television programs. Um, and so TV just always felt like a thing that mattered in my house growing up. Like my parents are both really funny, but also, yeah, I just come from a family that will recount episodes of television to each other. Um, or when I was growing up, we also, we should not have been allowed to, but like our show every night that we would watch on Comedy Central was like reruns of Soap. Mm -hmm. um, which is not a child appropriate show really at all. And so I, I think I just always sort of loved TV in the, in a background way. And then there was like a little bit of improv in my theater classes in high school. I did improv in college. And when I did it in college is when I really became one of those, like, um, people who get so nerdy about it, they start to suck the joy out of it. Sure. That happened in college. And then eventually moved to New York and did it as soon as I, shortly after graduating, not as soon as I graduated. And, so that's how I ended up there. Okay. And is there one improv lesson that people should just follow in their daily lives? Oh, it's a great question. I mean, the obvious answer is, okay. So the obvious answer is yes. And, but I think yes. And kind of gets misappropriated to mean just agree with everything. Right. Um, and so like, while that's a nice spirit, I think it can also lead you dangerous places and isn't necessarily authentic always sometimes people disagree. So I would actually say establishing base reality, establishing okay. who, what, where, which sounds like, what are you talking about? But I do think so often miscommunication problems or lack of connection come from like not getting on the same page about whether or not the facts that you're dealing with are the same in something. So like figuring out like base, what do we agree on? I think is good in all relationships and interactions, especially yeah. if there's been confusion. I can, I can definitely see that, you know, just a lot of disagreements in the world are because someone's coming from a different perspective and they, and they don't 
aren't understanding someone else's side or, or, or like you're saying the base. So yes, exactly. Yeah. And I don't, yeah. And I don't mean to be like reductive, like saying that's when discussing important world issues. I mean, more like in a relationship or in interpersonal things where it's like, oh, why do you think this is a big deal? And I don't, it's like, well, this is where we're both coming from perspective wise. Now, as I mentioned, you were pretty deep in the improv world at UCB and then you took sketch classes. So what was the impetus to do that? I think I always really liked the idea of writing, but was really scared of sharing writing with anyone. Like I took a creative writing class in college for a week and then I dropped it because it was just like too vulnerable. And I think I did like a writing group for a night when my early 20s and then like dropped it because it was too vulnerable. And so at the point when I took sketch, I'd been doing improv for like five or six years. Mm -hmm. And the sketch classes were free if you were an improv teacher. So I think it was sort of like, okay, this feels like a slightly safer way to dip your toe in and cost no money. Yeah. Um, And so it was like sort of finally putting pen to paper and being okay being vulnerable with writing and sharing writing and getting feedback on writing is why I ended up in the sketch program. Okay. Yeah, that, and again, that's where we met. Uh, it was the only sketch class we took together. Um, but and then it was afterwards, two hundred one, right? Uh, yes, it was two hundred one. Um, so we'd already kind of dipped our toe in in, in sketch writing, but by then, uh, after that class, you reached out to me and invited me to join a sketch writing practice group, um, which I'm sure I've thanked you for in the past. But if I haven't, uh, thank you so much. And even if I have, thank you publicly, um, because uh, it was very helpful for me. Uh, I met a lot of amazing, hilarious people through that group, uh, and I really appreci- appreciated being included. Uh, in that group, I wrote a sketch about a book club with a member who didn't want any spoilers uh, about the uh, any spoilers about the book because they hadn't yet read that book. And from that, you invited me to join one of your monthly book clubs. Um, what I'm saying is, uh, you're very generous and thoughtful, and I appreciate that. I have a couple different points from this, but first, I'm going to mention a, a sketch that you had written. And if I'm wrong, I've been linking this sketch to you for almost 10 years. Did you or not write a sketch about a couple, there are a couple fighting and another group is so excited to witness this couple fighting. So it is a one woman who witnesses a couple fighting on the subway and then follows them around the city to see how it uh, resolves. Yeah, and she's and tracking is... them. She's on top of a car. She's doing all this stuff. That's I, me, yes. I think about this sketch all the time whenever I see someone fighting because there's just some minor bit of voyeuristic joy of like witnessing that fight. Um, anyway, I, I, I think about that sketch a lot and I and I, I appreciate it. And I was like, oh my God, if that's not Nicole's sketch and I've been thinking it's hers, I'm going to feel like an idiot. But I'm glad that it, it turned out it was your sketch. Yes, um, it, you are correct. It is not only mine. It is one of the most personal things I've ever written because I've obviously never followed a couple around, but right. I feel that way about them. And I one time got the Holy Grail, which is I got to watch a couple fight and makeup on the same oh, subway ride and <laughs> be involved in the makeup because uh-huh. they involved me. I didn't involve them. Yeah. They involved me in it. And that is a thing that I really miss about not riding the subway right now and not as many of us being out and about is like being in each other's lives like that. Yeah. Have, have you ever used that sketch thematically or in actual performances outside of that one writing, like put it in, in other things you've done, just that kind of witnessing? No, I think I might have used it to submit for a job and I always wanted to film it. 
mm-hmm. it just felt like really difficult to film because it involves like being on a subway and then like shooting all over. And I just get lazy about that kind of stuff. Sure. Yeah. No, I understand that. I, I write a million things and they never go anywhere because it's like, exactly. I'm going to put this thing together. Am I going to do it with, with puppets? Like, I, you know, putting together a whole crew and then locations, forget about it. But yep. um, uh, now going back to the, the, the um, subject of book clubs, you're an avid reader and also an avid book club organizer and participant. Uh, you even hold book club meetings with just you and your now husband, Chris. Yes. Congratulations on that. Uh, I, I like that you just do a, a two-person book club. Um, so one of the last book clubs of yours that I attended, because you had invited me to, to go to a couple of those, was a few days before I moved to San Francisco. And I think this was like 2014. And I think it was literally the night before I was moving was the last. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, I'll go to this. What else do I have to do tonight? Um, now, this is an odd question, and I asked you this question that day, and I'm going to ask you again. Have you ever had an Iris Murdoch book as a subject of one of your book clubs? Great question, and no. And I've given, so I love Iris Murdoch. Yeah, there was a I long time, that. which is why you're asking. Yes. Yeah. I still, in theory, am reading all of her books in order, and I was aiming for one a year, but I've like fallen so behind. No, because there's like a part of me that's like really worried, not worried. I think we could at this point, I could push for it. But when you asked me, there was a part of me that was like, no, because what if they all hate it? Yeah. And then I'll feel so personally affronted. I have given Iris Murdoch books for like our annual holiday book swap before. Um, but no, we have not. We still have not read an Iris Murdoch book. Okay. Yeah, I was, I was, I wondered at the time because I'm also a huge Iris Murdoch fan, fan as is my wife. And so I was just like, oh, this is a, a perfect, you know, read, but but I, I always found that interesting, your answer. And I wondered if you'd ever overcome that, where you were just too afraid that people wouldn't love something that you love. And, and, and it is heartbreaking when that happens. So I was just curious if, if that was still the case. And it's interesting that it still is. Do you know what I think might have changed since you asked me that is the last few books I read of hers were just okay. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I'm in the story like string right now where she's writing a lot about religion and a lot about Ireland, like very nitty gritty Irish history, like micro moments. And I enjoy that, but I could also see why somebody wouldn't. And so I think I feel less precious, but it, because I'm reading in order, I would have to make the book club read whatever my next book is. And so I think I want to wait until I know it's like, uh, like one of her big ones. Yeah. Yeah. You wouldn't, cause then you don't want to have to go back and reread if you're in, in a a stream of reading. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, although maybe there are a few I would reread at this point because I haven't read them in like a decade yeah that's a good point um what draws you to book clubs oh that's a good question I think initially what drew me to it was I was like I hated my job which sort of bleeds into generally hating your life and I wanted something sort of exciting going on and I think I had seen on like an like a listicle or something like ways to bring joy into your life and one was like start a book club and so I posted on tumblr about it and I started this book club which I think the I think shortly after you moved we like closed membership because I think originally it was just like I'd email 40 people and the first 10 who could come would come great and then you weren't at the left hand of darkness book club were you I was yes okay so notorious Rick so this that was was that the one before you moved Um, that must have been no, no, no. The one before I moved was, I think, that the book about the JFK assassination. Oh, great. Terrible, terrible. American terrible. Everyone hated. Everyone yeah, yeah. hated. 
Yes. And I think, okay. I, yeah, I think that was the last one I, I was there. Interesting. Cause the book club lore is at the left hand of darkness. There were like 17 people there. It was, including, it, was crowded, yeah. it was crowded, including some people I'm like very close with, but the members who came regularly, who had been there like all the time had such a visceral reaction to feeling like they had been invaded that we closed membership. And so for the last, I guess, six or seven years, it's been the same 10 or 12 people. And I say that to say, I think at this point in time, it's not necessarily like the concept of book clubs. I think it's like that specific book club has been like very um, committed and very focused and now has so much history. And so I think my affection is like for that group of people and what we built around a book club. And the concept of book clubs, I think it's just like kind of kitschy, but yeah. I think it's specific affection for that book club. I can't, I knew you were at the left hand of darkness. There are a few, sorry, we're getting into lore now, but no, it's fine. Yes. that book club is so maligned that people I'm friends with and genuinely love, I have deleted from their attendance. Like you, like until this moment, I would never, if you made me take a lie detector test and says, was, said, was Rick at left hand of darkness book club? I would have said no. Yeah. And as well, we were I talking was, about it, I was probably one of the I invaders. <laughs> I don't think so. Cause you've been to others. I had been to others. That's true. Yeah. It wasn't my first one. No, there were a few who were like first timers who like really took part pretty vocally. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my friend Caroline Cotter, who I'm so close with and we all love, was at that one. And she had to re- she's had to remind me about that like three or four times. I'm like, I deleted you from it. Mm-hmm. I also didn't, I had a great time at that book club. It was more like the fallout that I got as book club organizer was my email inbox was blowing up for a couple wow. of days. That's yes. pretty funny though. Yeah. It's all this drama from, you know, almost. And a great ago. book, a yeah. great book, which I think is why people were upset is they felt like we didn't get to discuss this great book enough. Yeah, there were, there were so funny many participants, I guess, but it was it was fun. Um, I'm going to switch up a little bit. Uh, you had a recurring role as Ilana's disapproving co-worker on Broad City. Uh, as I already mentioned, you performed uh, improv on stage countless times. Uh, but as someone who's both behind the scenes as a writer and a creator and also in front of audiences, do you have a preference between the two? I think acting is sort of more fun. Mm -hmm. But it is so, especially acting for TV. And I think this is why I did improv on stage for so long. Acting on TV is so vulnerable is not the right word because like vulnerable can be good. It's so exposing because it's like you're wearing clothes that you're not in control of. And um, I've been in my life a plus size woman. And sometimes not on Broad City, but sometimes you're dealing with like a costume department who like doesn't know how to dress above a size four. (laughs) And hair and makeup you're not in control of. Sometimes you have mean hair and makeup people. And so if you're not comfortable in your body, it can feel so exposing to be acting on television. And so that sort of pushed me away from it for a little while, although it really is my love and I'd love to get back into it. Writing is great because sometimes it's collaborative, which is so wonderful, but also you can do it on your own, on your own schedule, which is so great. So I love both art forms. I think the lifestyle of writing sort of feels more comfortable to me. Okay, interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you buy something online and almost instantly you get an ad from that same company showing you very similar items, like as if you didn't just buy that thing or if you collect bedside tables, like this is what they think. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have any bits about that? Uh, also, is this a good question? <laughs> this is a good question. I don't personally have bits about this, but my now husband does because he bought an engagement ring mm-hmm. and then all anyone wanted to sell him was an engagement ring. 
Yeah. And it's like, somebody should really fix that. Cause the one thing you hopefully don't have to buy twice in a six month period is an engagement ring. Um, so yeah, so that is not my personal story, but that is the closest experience I've had to that. Okay, good. I, I wanted to find out. <laughs> it happened to me yesterday and I was like, I'm going to write this down as a question. Yeah, no, it's definitely a thing. And I feel like it did happen actually with something recently that we bought, but the engagement ring is the one that stands out to me. Yeah, because you are, and you have been, I'm going to throw this in, the process of trying to move. Yes. Um, so there may be a, a time where this this type of refurnishing comes up and you're going to see a lot of uh, repeat uh, suggestions for you. So can you talk a little bit about this possible move? Because you and I have been going back and forth on it probably about a year. We, we email each other every so often. And the fact that you were supposed to move maybe a year ago and you're still, you still haven't done so, I find fascinating. So I've been in my current apartment for like 12 years and change. And October 2020, my husband and I were like, okay, we're going to move. We want to move. Let's start looking. We have sort of a, a very kind landlord who will let us be flexible about our lease. So let's start looking. And then the, there was the winter wave last year. And so we were like, okay, let's slow it down. Cause it's sort of a little bit of a roulette game when you go to look at an apartment, whether your realtor is going to want to wear a mask or not. And then last summer, so summer 2021, we we're like, okay, we're really moving. Let's commit to this. Let's commit to this. So we went to a bunch of apartments and then we found one and the Holy grail, the thing that we're looking for is washer dryer in unit, which is so hard to find in New York. And, but it's like, it's just my dream. It's just my dream. It's the only thing I want. So we found this apartment that was like in a house that was being converted into two apartments and it was massively under construction, but we were like, you know what? That's great. Cause it'll all be new. And it's only a house. So it's only two units. So you're not dealing with like a great big landlord, like they'll care and everything. And the place was still fully under construction, but it was like a leap of faith. And we were like, we'll leap. And he was like, okay, this is the end of July. It's not going to be ready until September 1st. And we're like, of course, it's not going to be ready until September 1st. What are we stupid? Look at it. So there's raw wood everywhere. And then as September 1st got closer, the guy was, the realtor was like, don't be mad at me. It's going to be end of September. And we were like, we get that, you know, supply chain, whatever. Right. Ladies and gentlemen and people, it is currently January 15th and we have not yet moved. And it's like every two weeks, there's a new thing. There's a new 100%. It'll be the end of December, 100%, whatever. So right when this started, I got a text that said February one move in. And I'm like, okay, dude, I bet. I bet. Like, we'll see. She'll be moving in. That's great news. Yep. Yep. Uh, yeah I mean it's at this point in time like I'm so like relaxed about it because it's so absurd I'm relaxed about it until it's like three in the morning and the heat is so hot in our apartment it's 90 degrees even though it's 13 degrees out then I lose my mind have have you packed are you ready to go or is it just like you're just gonna start when they when it's actually real we're gonna start when it's actually real which I think I I'm so torn about because on the one hand it's like well if we had started in August we'd be living amongst boxes for four or five months. Yeah. But now part of me is like, I don't know, is that like the energy we need to guarantee? I thought if we put up our Christmas tree, we would move, but that didn't do it. So now the Christmas tree is staying up until we move. We'll so it see. might be up until next Christmas. We never know. Oh. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. Now, um, on a more personal note, we share similar fandoms, yes. uh, Star Wars, fantasy shows and literature, Disney. Has We can talk 
in detail about that stuff, but I just was curious if your creative life has ever pulled you in the direction of those types of things. I have scripts that I've written. Like I have a witch script and I have a half hour about demon hunting, but I haven't worked on any of those shows yet. Mm -hmm. So I'm sort of trying to like make my way into more genre specific shows, but that hasn't where work has led me yet. Yeah, because you, you, I think you do a podcast about uh, Wheel of Time, right? Yes. Like, so these are things that you're you're immersed in on the fan side, but I just wasn't sure if you had dipped in even just trying to create on your own. Um, because sometimes, again, like the Iris Murdoch situation, where if you love something so much, it kind of takes something away from it if if you're if it's your work or if you or if someone else doesn't feel the same way you do about it. So I was just curious if if um if you had a, an aversion to it as a result of that or if it was just hasn't hasn't come up yet, hasn't presented itself. Hasn't presented itself yet. I do think I might I like I think I should have more of an aversion because like for example, it's one thing to like watch a Star Wars TV show and be like, "Ugh, I have notes." And it'll be very different when it's like, I have notes and they're not listening to me and they right. should be listening to me. We'll yeah. feel very different. Yeah. Um, speaking of Star Wars, uh, what is a Star Wars IP that you would recommend to others? Rebels. Rebels, Rebels, Rebels. Rebels. Yeah. yeah. People have not done Rebels yet. And I, I, I think you can do Clone Wars before Rebels. That's what uh, most people do. I did Rebels before Clone Wars. Hmm. And like some stuff gets spoiled, but I think it's still such a good show. It works out. Yeah. Yeah. I just did them in the order they came out. Um, mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, I'm always an original trilogy guy because I'm, you know, Gen X. Uh, so you kind of have to be, you're required to be. Um, but yeah, I was just curious, uh, you know, where, where you sat on that spectrum. Um, and I, I think we talked about the fact that we're both watching the new Boba Fett. And um, I think we're, any show that comes out, I'm going to watch. Any movie that comes out, I'm going to watch. I read the books, you know. I haven't read the new series of books, which I think you're currently reading in um, one of your book clubs with your husband. Um, yes, we are reading the High Republic books. High Republic books, yes. I have not gone down that path yet. Um, but I'm very much into, you know, Galaxy's Edge at at, um, at Disney World and Disneyland. I mean, they're, they're essentially the same in both parks. But, um, you know, if... If I had my way, I'd spend my whole time at the park there, just like oh, I'm, I'm immersed in the world. Um, so it's just it's very fun. It's it's something that you and I talk about quite a bit in our in our email exchanges. Just you know visiting Disney and and going to Star Wars things. So um, I, I I appreciate that about you. Um, so that that that's kind of where I wanted to go on on that. So Rebels is your recommendation. I'm, I've seen it. I, I might want to revisit it. Just I'm hoping some of those characters show up again. Um, as a Filoni production, I'm sure they will. Yes, but, I'm sure. <laughs> you know, we, we'll see how that goes. Um, yeah, it's funny that you say the Gen X thing, because I, I also think part of what's fun about Star Wars is there's so many different reasons people love it and different things people fall in love with about it. And for me, Star because I also, as a millennial, um, I my Star Wars fandom started with the, forgive me for this, special edition which is like oh, such a yeah. specific sure. micro generation almost because what happened yeah. was, and I've told this story before, but I don't care. I like it. 
um, when they announced the special edition, that was when I was like nine or 10. My dad realized I had never seen Star Wars. And he was very much like, what have I done? I've made a huge mistake. Okay, let's turn this mistake into an opportunity. You can't watch it until it comes out. And then I will take you to the movie theater to see it. And it'll be an experience. So I was sort of already excited about it and loved it before I saw it. And then I saw A New Hope in the movie theater and it was blah, 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 transformative experience, blah, blah, blah. And we left and I turned to my dad and I was like, hey, when do we get to see the next two in the movie theaters? And he was like, what am I, a king? Borrow the videos. Like, we're not doing that three times. Are you nuts? Um, But so that is where my fandom comes from, one. And specifically, it's like the moment the Millennium Falcon lands on the Death Star in A New Hope. And now all of a sudden you've got Luke and Leia and Han all like meeting for the first time and on an adventure. And it's like, the friendship adventure piece of it is like what I really like what really lit my Star Wars fire and that is what Rebels is like distilled and so I think that's why Rebels is like the one that I recommend and really love because it's like oh that's the Star Wars story that like every time a new thing gets greenlit that's what I want it to be yeah you want that that connection you want the the human element even if they're not all humans exactly (laughs) um now, you uh, have been a TV writer for a while. You wrote on Chris Gethard Show. You wrote on Wet Hot American Summer 10 years later mm-hmm. and currently on First Wives Club, right? No, so First Wives Club just ended. Oh, just ended, okay. Yes. Um, did you send me an email that had for good First Wives Club jokes in it? Yes, I think I did. Yes, you did. Yeah, but it just ended and now I'm on Teenage Euthanasia on oh. Adult Swim. Okay, great. I, didn't, I don't think I knew that. No, I don't think you did. It like really was in the last like two weeks the transition happened. And so, and I owe you an email where I tell you that. Okay, thank you. I'll, I'll look for that email where I, where I learned okay. this information. Yes. Um, but okay, we'll talk about the, the other shows because I, I don't know about the Adult Swim show. But well, actually, you can bring it up if you want, but it, we don't want to, uh, you know, spoil anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but these shows were all comedies, but they're all very different, the, the three shows that I mentioned. Um, how did your experiences on these disparate shows vary? Oh, that's a great question. So Chris Gethard's show very much felt like um, an outgrowth of UCB. Like it was so many UCB people on it. I got the job because I had done stuff at UCB. Um, so it did sort of feel like a, a continuation of just like pitching late night shows or pitching bit shows or like, and like working with your friends in the good and bad ways. Um, Wet Hot American Summer was so different because that was like, you were literally sitting at the table with like comedy royalty and people yeah. who are far more veteran and experienced and famous than you. Um, and that was like Michael Showalter, I cannot say enough thing, nice things about as a showrunner because he really did try to make it like everybody is equal though, regardless of how much you, how many years you've spent with this property or what your other experiences, like all pitches are equal at this table. And it was like a wonderful experience because of Michael Showalter, but it was still intimidating because these are characters some people have lived with for 10 years. Yeah, there's a pre-existing group of characters and you had to essentially redevelop them in a way. Totally, yes. Fascinating. And- and also to pitch on them, the way that that story, those stories were broken is you sort of blue sky pitched and then later everything changed because you couldn't get anyone. Um, and you had to, there had to be recasting or changes in availability. Um, but the part that I was there for was very blue sky pitching. And it felt like writing fan fiction when you got to write for those characters, sure. like when you went off to script. And then First Wives Club in Harlem was far more like traditional narrative writer's rooms, which was like, their staff writer level, their story editor level. So there are different responsibilities. Um, you break the story all together. Like there were wonderful, supportive, collaborative rooms. And it very much felt like, oh, those are almost my first real 
quote unquote real writers rooms because you're breaking episodes in order and you're talking about the season as a whole and then you're going off to script individually and it was like far more um structured than any room I'd been in before then yeah yeah I just found it fascinating because your experiences per show were so different you know like like you said the Chris Gethard show was an essentially an offshoot of UCB but Mm -hmm. it's like a talk show but also with madcap group of, of characters that are just you know in and out and Chris trying to hold in the chaos, you know, but also orchestrating it. And it's just, I, I found that a fascinating thing in, in order to just be behind the scenes, trying to navigate that also as a writer, like, what can we do? What can we throw at the show? Um, and again, I've, I've been a huge Wet Hot fan since, you know, I was, I went to one of the, the very first cast screenings of it before it was released in theaters. Like had, you know, some outtakes that later were just on the DVDs that like were in that screen. It's just like, ah, you know, I want everyone to see this movie. And then it just totally failed at the box office and then became a cult classic. And then they got these two spinoff series on Netflix, which is just amazing. Um, and I've only watched a few episodes of First Wives Club, apologies. Um, That's <laughs> but, okay. Um, and now I'm looking forward to the new show you're writing. But yeah, it, I, when I was thinking back on, on your professional television writing career, those, those three things just, just kind of stood out as being very diff- different. So I'm, I'm happy to hear your experiences on those. Um, and then you also created a show, um, I can't remember the name of it, about Hillary Clinton's, um, the, the young life of Hillary Clinton or something like that. Well, re- remind me of the name, please. The Adventures of Young Hillary. Yes. Um, now, I didn't know this until I was doing some research to, to do this interview. And I don't know why, as your friend, I didn't realize that, that you had uh, created a show that was, that was out in the world. So you you seem to to cringe a little bit about this, but can you, (laughs) are you willing to talk about it? I'm very, I'm willing to talk about it. I would actually love the opportunity to talk about this. So um, I went to Wellesley College, which is where Hillary Clinton went. And when you go to Wellesley, especially when I went, which was in the early aughts, there's sort of this like mythological Hillary Clinton. Because at that point in time, she had not run for president. She had only been a senator, but she was like one of Wellesley's most famous alums. And there was a lot of like, well, when Hillary was a student, she uh, wrote her graduation speech off the top of her head or Hillary was in 400 clubs or whatever. And when I was there, I was like, oh, I think it'd be really funny to do a web series. It's like sort of Hillary Clinton, like folk hero, like mm-hmm. an exaggerated character version of her. That's like um, sort of exploring that like uh, feminist mythology around Hillary Clinton. And but this was again, early aughts. So it was like cameras were still heavy. Like it wasn't easy to do a web series. So I never did it. And then like five or six years later, or God more, um, a friend of mine at UCB comedy had an agreement with above average and they were looking for pitches. And so I sent like five or six pitches. And one of them I threw in was like the adventures of young Hillary. And that was the one they wanted to do. And I was like, Oh, how surprising. Now at that point in time, Hillary had been like secretary of state and so again, there was like the Hillary mythology of like sunglasses wearing Hillary on the plane. And it's very much like white feminist mythology that sort of erases everything complicated about Hillary Clinton as a political figure. Um, but naively, I was like, oh, okay, yeah. I mean, I guess if they're interested in this, let's make it. And I, it didn't occur. And I also so foolishly was like, well, she's done running for things. She's like run for president. She's not going to run again. Whereas above average, if I can speak for them, was like, oh, she's going to run again. This is yeah. going to be a clickbaity. And 
it took a year and change for it to get made. And that's what ended up happening. And so by the time it got released, it was like very much like this lightning rod, like my feelings about Hillary Clinton have evolved over time. And sorry, I'm talking so long, but it was like, it ended up feeling like this very simplified, sketchy, sort of like this looking glass that whatever you felt about Hillary Clinton, you could look at the web series and project onto how I felt because it was like both woman hating, but also Hillary propaganda at the same time. And so the comments were just all over the place. And the response to it was just all over the place. Herman Cain's like pack retweeted it because they really liked it, which I'll say it, certain people at Above Average loved. And I was just like, what hath I wrought? Like, (laughs) what have I done? Uh, and so I think it was very naive of me. I think it was unevolved of me. I think there are some great jokes in it and some stellar performances in it. Um, but it's sort of the, it's the kind of thing where it's like, oh, I love that you didn't know about that until <laughs> you went looking for it. I'm fine with that. Yeah. Well, now I'll look it up. No, I <laughs> Yeah, great. And like I said, there's some like little moments of writing that I think are great. And there are some things that like I no longer really stand behind. And that is what happens when you put things on the internet, baby. Yeah, it comes back at you. But I mean, that's that's the human experience. You know, you evolve, you change. You, you know, it's like, oh, something that I thought was funny 15 years ago, now I cringe when I hear it or I, I feel embarrassed that I thought it was funny or that I said such a thing, you know, because it was just shock humor or just kind of uneducated humor that was just to get a laugh because it was a turn, it was a twist. You know, and so when you you know, hopefully we all change and we all evolve and we all improve our ideas and become better people. So I I don't think there's any reason that you should worry too much. I mean, other than that, the internet, internet's going to throw it back in your face whenever they get a chance um, because the internet knows best. Um, And also to be fair, like, it's not like there's anything, I I mean, I I haven't looked at it forever. It's not that I would say there was anything problematic in it. It's just I find it reductive and not necessarily like true to my worldview. Um, but I think it's also, that's fine, baby. Like you put something online and you have to be okay with how people respond to it. Yeah. yeah yes. you, can't, you can't bleach it out. <laughs> precisely. Precisely. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, is there anything else? Um, you, you know, you don't really have much of a social media presence. You've gone dark many times. You've canceled accounts. You know, I was going to be like, here's where people can find you, but you really aren't out there that mm-hmm. much. And I think you're very proud of that. Um, but um, yeah, where can people find out more? Or, you know, are you still performing? You, you know, like, I think you're mostly just writing now, right? I am mostly writing now. I've struggled with like the Zoom performance of it all. Because I know yeah. you can turn off your self view, but I just like don't want to look at myself. And it's so hard to get a ton of, like there's no audience feedback. Um which is one of the nice things about live performances. Is it's not just about you. Uh, there's this other element there. Um, and then it's hard to connect in the same way with your fellow performers. And so it just like hasn't clicked for me. Um, and I don't quite feel ready to do in-person performing yet. And also don't know where I do it because UCB RIP. I know. Um, that's, I mean, yeah. that was one of the, the casualties of the pandemic. It's just... No, that was the casualty of like decades of mismanagement yeah. that okay. the pandemic that's just exacerbated. <laughs> That's definitely true, but I feel like they were trying to make improvements before everything shut down. Um, yes. I, I do. They, they were recognizing the fact of mismanagement and, you know, all that stuff. But yes, there were, there was a lot of good that came out of there, but 
but there was also a lot of harm. Um, yes, that's such a good word. Um, but I, I do think that, you know, as, as I've witnessed from, you know, Broadway reopening, you know, so many shows are trying to be more inclusive and trying to get, you know, bring in new audiences. And it's just been hard, in, you know, in the pandemic, like the reopenings, everyone's even either having to shut down because of illness, like COVID illness, you know, like, oh, the show's canceled tonight, canceled for the next week, or they're just, you know, the audiences aren't coming out still because of, you know, fear of, of being in, in, in spaces or I, I don't know what, but, you know, we, we try to go to a show every week, but at the same time, it's like, oh my God, the show's closing next week. And, we, you know, we wanted to go see it, you know, in three weeks. Um, so we've had to do a bit of scrambling. So I, I think, uh, again, this is sort of related, but, I, you know, when I saw UCB was closing, I was like, oh man, that, that sucks because that was a place that I could go and see new comedy voices and see, you know, just some people that I've known or, or followed for years, like doing something. And, um, you know, it's just, it's becoming harder now. Like, like you said, going online now to, to watch people uh, do Zoom performances. It's like, I got Zoom burnout so early, like within the first few months, it's like we were doing so many virtual events and it's just like, oh my God, if I have to stare at my screen anymore. I mean, we're doing a Zoom call right now, which is fine. Um, but at the same time, it's just, there, there is that burnout. And again, like you're saying, we, you're not getting the audience feedback. If you have mics on then you're getting someone talking to someone in their house, you, you know, it's, it's tricky trying to get that laughter. But um, so, yeah, I, I wonder how we're going to come out of this and what the new, like how new voices in comedy are going to be. Is it all just TikTok people? You know, like, do you have an opinion on this? My, and my, I haven't really revisited this question in like a year, but if you asked me in like 2020, I would say like my hope is, because I think part of what became tricky about UCB was that anytime an institution gets too large, the objectives of the institution shift to preserving the institution, at least a little bit, right? Like sure. an institution starts in order to make it easier for people to do comedy together and to do affordable comedy and to teach. And then at some point in time, part of the obligation is to like keep the lights on and keep yourself out of legal trouble. And that can suck up a lot of energy and a lot of intent. And so my hope was like, oh, maybe rather than like a behemoth, is that how you pronounce that word? I think it's behemoth. Behemoth? That makes sense. Um, it's like a, a lot of like loose federations of like uh, so-and-so teaches this class and then um, there's this team and they host shows and everybody goes to each other's shows and there's this group of people hosting shows and there's this, this class and it becomes almost more like what the indie scene was sure. in the early 2000s, which was like there are certain shows that are like pillar shows and then there are other like surprising shows that pop up and everybody tries to go to each other's stuff and maybe that's too insular and doesn't have enough audience appeal, but then the hope would be like audiences also discover that without it having to be like this top-down thing. And I don't know if that's what everyone wants. I don't know if that, I think that would take time to happen and to build. And I don't think that's a bad thing. That's still sort of my hope of what comes out of it, but I know I'm not quite ready to jump in yet. Yeah, because I, I know like, like um, ASCAP became rat scraps and they were doing something at caveat in Lower East Side and then that had to shut down because of you know new right. variants of, of coronavirus 
you know, so now they've gone back to, you know, online stuff. So it's just tricky because, you know, you're trying, everyone's trying to, to get out there and practice and do, you know, entertain people. And, and it just feels um, like everyone's kind of in a holding pattern. And, and, I, and I just worry about how that's going to uh, evolve, you know, how the scene is going to change. And I, I'm not worried per se, I'm just curious, like what's going to happen, mm -hmm. you know, how is this going to manifest itself? And there, there are always people that are hustlers and can figure it out. Like, I'm going to, I'm going to work, I'm going to make this thing be, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to put on a show and I'm going to put it, I'm going to find a venue and I'm going to find an audience, you know, and, and those are the kind of people that, that, that rise up. Uh, usually, I mean, not always. People can struggle for <laughs> their whole life and and not rise up. But um, I, I do I do find that those are the ones that sort of like hit my radar as someone that you know I don't go out that much for late night stuff. You know, like going out for a show that starts at 10 p.m. It's like, well, I'm I'm in bed. You know, right. um, <laughs> but you know, if something hits your radar enough, you're like, I better go check that out. You know, and then like, oh wow a new voice I haven't seen before. And then suddenly they're everywhere. Um, anyway, I, I'm rambling and I told you I would end up rambling, but um, really, do you have any questions for me? Ooh, oh, okay. I don't know, I didn't prepare. No, I didn't prepare anything, although I do love that. I should have been more prepared. As you pointed out, rightfully, I have a tendency to deflect during conversations. Yes. Uh, and redirect, but I didn't bring my deflecting energy, Good. so Good. I'm not prepared. Yeah, I, I um, for the audience that's listening to this, um, I pointed out to Nicole that I, I hadn't asked her to be on this show because usually anytime I ask her a personal question or a question about her career, she finds a way to change the subject uh, to another topic um, or redirect it to, to me. And I think that's hilarious that, um, that that happens. And, and so she said she'd do it. And I was like, all right, I'm going to put some, some questions together. And I'm, I'm happy I did. Um, that was really it from my side. Uh, thank you so very much for, for sitting down with me and taking the time to, to do this, this talk. I, I was happy to learn new things about you, even though I've known you for almost 10 years. Um, <laughs> I think that's, that's really fun. I hope people enjoy listening to it. And uh, again, like we said, there's not, you're not really online, but people can find your work. You know, they can, they can search for you and they can find your work and hopefully um, become uh, fans if they're not already. That would be lovely. Please find, find me. Please find me. <laughs> <Find her. laughs> All right, Nicole. Thank you so much.